Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, my friend? Thank you so much for joining me here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Honored to have you with me. This episode features an interview from the archives. This originally broadcast on the radio. This is an interview which got me more fascinated with traditional jazz music. Jerry Zygmunt is a premier trombonist of the New Orleans style. For many years, he performed and toured with Woody Allen and the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band. Eddie Davis passed away recently. The band performed from a repertoire of over 1,200 songs, ranging from the early 20th century popular tunes, hymns, spirituals, marches, blues, and rags. The musical director, as I mentioned, the late Eddie Davis, was a legendary Hall of Fame four-string banjo player, and the band also featured the famous film director Woody Allen on clarinet. Jerry Zygmunt gave a very informative interview. He is a trombone player, as mentioned, and his playing is steeped in the classic New Orleans tradition, with its trademark raw power and straight-from-the-heart approach. Jerry Zygmunt is featured on the band's soundtrack recording, Wild Man Blues, and he performed extensively with the group. It's really an amazing thing that this group did, bringing the rare, traditional, and authentic New Orleans jazz to many countries around the world. Jerry Zygmunt is a very eloquent man. His passion and knowledge of music is nothing short of infectious. The Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band performed together for decades. The band drew inspiration from the artists Woody Allen admired since his youth, including Sidney Bechet, George Lewis, Johnny Dots, Jimmy Noon, and of course, Louis Armstrong. As you can imagine, Jerry Zygmunt has a pretty interesting history. He began recording and touring with the renowned British clarinetist Sammy Remington in 1987, and he went on to work with many jazz legends. I actually did an interview with Sammy Remington, which you might also find interesting. I think that Zygmunt's insightful historical perspectives on music make for a very intriguing interview. I enjoyed very much hearing his inside look into one of the only bands in the world that performed this style of jazz. As always, let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents, and now your host, Paul Leslie. It is our pleasure to welcome Mr. Jerry Zygmunt of the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Zygmunt. Well, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you for asking me. I'd like to start by kind of getting some of your background as a musician. You're a trombonist. How did you become passionate about music? I probably got my beginning in music from my dad. My dad was a big jazz lover. More specifically, he really loved jazz trombone. When I grew up, he would play records of some of the famous bebop trombonists, Kai Winding, J.J. Johnson in the house. And he just loved that sound and would go out to hear those musicians live when he could in New York City. 
And he was just a, always a big jazz fan. So there was a lot of interesting music always floating around the house. Not only jazz, but classical music he would frequently play. And my mother was a little bit into theater, so we would hear show tunes. So I was exposed to a, a wide variety of different musical styles and influences. But my dad really loved the trombone. That, well, I think, was his, his dream to sort of get his son to play it, at least as a hobby, because he enjoyed it so much. Can you remember some of the early musicians that you heard that you felt were a great influence on you? Well, we were really lucky. We grew up just outside of the New Haven area. So there was a jazz club in Fairfield, Connecticut. And this is really kind of a long throw from the style of music that I'm playing now. But there was a gentleman, and he was actually an entrepreneur of jazz and had a small jazz club called the Continental. And frequently he would bring in all sorts of jazz musicians from New York City to come and play. So as a little boy, you know, in my, not even in my teens, I would get to hear really phenomenal trombonists like Irby Green and Bill Watrous. And also uh, a lot of uh, the musicians who were playing with the Dick Cavett band would come in and they would put together combos. So I would get to hear people like Roland Hanna on piano Bobby Rosengarten on drums, Milt Hinton on bass. I can always remember at a very young age being exposed to all kinds of music, not only in the home, but also getting to hear live music. And what was it about the trombone that appealed to you? I must say, it appealed to my dad. It actually didn't appeal to me. My arms were too short when I was first starting out, so I started out on a valve trombone. So I became very facile at playing the valves and frequently going up through high school and junior high school. I played um, the euphonium or the baritone horn because I knew all of the valve fingerings for that instrument. It was all in the bass clef, and so I was very easy to make that transition between euphonium and trombone. And then as uh, I grew a little bit, my arms grew a little longer, I, I migrated into slide trombone. But it can be a little bit of a, a tough go, a little bit of a tough learning curve, because, of course, there's no keys you play. You just have to move your slide into different positions to produce the notes. I always found it to be a little bit of a tough instrument for me to master. And that's just personally, you know, there's other gentlemen who probably were very adept at it. But, you know, I had to work pretty hard to get it to uh, sound good. And the music that's performed by the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band, it's not the same type of jazz that a lot of people believe is is jazz. It's traditional jazz. I was hoping you could tell us what attracted you to that style. When I was in college, I majored in music and, and performance and also music education. During my off time over the weekend, I was looking for a jazz group to possibly play with and earn a little extra money. I went to the University of Connecticut in Hartford, Connecticut. There was a New Orleans jazz combo playing at a real hot, popular nightclub. I remember they played from 9.30 at night to 2.30 in the morning. They advertised in a local newspaper that they were looking for a New Orleans trombonist or a jazz trombonist, and I knew nothing of playing the style that I'm playing now, and I just went down there and did the best I could, and obviously I had some chops because I was able to perform written music and knew nothing about improvisation. It was just sort of thrown into it and just sort of did the best I could that night and won the audition, and they asked me to play, and that's how I basically sort of learned. I learned from sort of the bottom up. It was quite an education, you know, five hours a night, and we used to play on Friday and Saturday nights in downtown Hartford, and I remember my take-home pay at the time was $30, and that seemed like a whole world of money to me at the time, 
and it was probably all the beer you can drink. And so that's how I first sort of got exposed to the music. But it's a much longer story than that. The style of music in and of itself is sort of an offshoot from what people imagine Dixieland music to be. Most people, when they think about Dixieland music, it sort of has, to some people, a negative stereotype. They think of guys at uh, pep rallies and straw hats and striped vests and banjos and roaring 20s style of music. It's probably as far from that as you could possibly imagine. The music that we aspire to play in the Woody Allen Jazz Band is basically what they call traditional New Orleans jazz. So if you were going to, going to go down to New Orleans jazz maybe about 40 or 50 years ago, and you were going to go to a local dance hall for that night and happen in there and pay your 25-cent admission and get a little bit of beer, you would hear uh, a jazz band very much like ourselves playing dance music for the dancers. And this typically was the type of music that you'd hear back in the day, and that's really what we aspire to. We aspire to, like, local New Orleans dance hall music, not necessarily something where a band would concertize to, but functional dance music. That's essentially what it was back in the day. This is a style of music that's really moved a lot of people throughout the years. Not only Woody Allen, but the famous film director Stanley Kubrick was a big fan of traditional New Orleans jazz. And they went down there in the 50s and the 60s, and they got to hear this music firsthand and were really taken by the style. It's pretty esoteric, but it's very rewarding music once you sort of understand it and get to know it and play it. And hopefully people feel the same way. When they get to hear it, it's very unabashed, unpretentious music. There's nothing particularly that you need a trained ear to sort of sit down and hear the band play, but hopefully in the music that we play will move you in some way, just like it moved those dancers maybe 40 or 50 years ago down in New Orleans. How did you find yourself as a member of the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band? After first being exposed to traditional New Orleans jazz in college, I worked with local bands throughout the uh, New York City, greater Connecticut area. would find work from time to time. Steady gigs would come along where they'd be looking for some sort of a, uh, a jazz band. So I did that for a number of years, played with big bands, played with classical orchestras. And I had the opportunity to work with a fairly well-known jazz musician from England by the name of Sammy Remington. And Sammy Remington, if you know anything about traditional jazz, he's one of the leading disciples of that style. Traditional jazz very much is similar in the way the music is handed down as is folk music. It's very much an oral art where you take some other forms of jazz and forms of classical music. It's, it's very much written, but this is truly an oral art that's handed down. So a lot of the musicians that aspired to play this music back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s went down to New Orleans, heard the music firsthand, got to take lessons from a lot of these musicians who were still down there from the very first days that jazz was created. And Louis Armstrong, of course, came from New Orleans. These musicians studied with some of the original inventors of the style and then passed it along. So one of the main leaning fountainheads, shall we say, of traditional New Orleans jazz these days is this very well-known traditional New Orleans clarinetist named Sammy Remington. So I first had the opportunity back in the late 80s to do some touring with him throughout the New England area. He put together a band, and I was part of that band, and one of the stops we made was New York City. So we were playing at a club down in Soho, 
and Woody Allen, who had been very interested in New Orleans jazz for many years and had his own band in New York City at, at that time, some of his original band members turned out to see us play because it was that common interest of uh, playing the same style of music. And it's a very small community, just like as if you were in any other sort of style of music that you kind of know the people that sort of travel in similar circles as you playing the same styles. They heard we were going to be in town. They went down and heard us when Woody Allen's original trombone player, his very nice gentleman by the name of Dick Drywitz, when he first heard me play, he said, you know, this is fantastic. We are very, very hard-pressed in New York City. There's a lot of wonderful trombonists, but very few of them can play this New Orleans style. And I know if New Woody heard you play, he would really like your trombone. So would you like to come in and fill in for me? I'm going to be taking a couple of weeks off, and would you, would you like to come in and play? And I was, of course, thrilled to be asked to do that. Of course, Woody the time was very famous and had a number of uh, successful films, so I was very happy to uh, initially come in as a first-call sub for that group. So that's how I got, and got invited down. And what was your impression of Mr. Allen when you met him? Woody, with no false modesty at all, even if you talk to him today, he would tell you that he's an amateur at what he does. But he truly is inspired by the New Orleans jazz that he listens to. He listens to people like Sidney Bechet and Jimmy Noon and Johnny Dodds, these people who are like leading examples of the New Orleans style back in the day. He's very, very passionate about the music he plays. Admittedly, he talks about himself as being a rank amateur. In some ways, his playing is a little bit rudimentary and perhaps a little bit limited, but the whole essence of playing this particular style of jazz, this New Orleans traditional jazz that we play, we forsake the dexterity and the, the technical ability, and we really look for a real heartfelt approach to playing the music. And if you can make your instrument speak, and you're not the greatest technician in the world, but you can still make it say something, then you're making music in this style. And I think he truly does that. And a lot of people will come to hear him from time to time and they'll say, well, you know, they're, they sort of have in their mind that they're going to hear Benny Goodman or some very technically proficient clarinet player, somebody like Artie Shaw or someone like that. And he's not like that. Even if he probably could play that way, he probably wouldn't. He's a very simple, plaintively stated musician. And that was my first impression of him. I, di I didn't find him limiting. I found him very idiomatic in, in a lot of ways. Because a lot of the musicians that played this style were not the best technicians in the world. But yet, they were listened to by musicians who were very, very skillful. And the reason why is because there was an essence there. I think he has that essence. So he surrounds himself with uh, trained professional musicians like myself. And we, we go out there and we make music. And it all works. I was hoping you could tell us about the types of songs, as in composers, that you all play. That's a really good question. And one of the interesting things about playing this traditional New Orleans jazz, and what's so wonderful about it, is it takes all these different styles that were present down in New Orleans during that time. They were coming out of this Spanish occupation of that whole ter territory. So there were a lot of, at the time, that jazz started, there were a lot of brass band instruments and pawn shops, a lot of things sort of left over from the war. That's how a lot of instruments got into the hands of these musicians. They blended into the repertoire of traditional New Orleans jazz are things like 
um, the Spanish influences. Jelly Roll Morton talks about this. The Spanish tinge that you'll find in some of the Jelly Roll Morton Victor recordings is very, very evident. And also, blues is a very, very important part of our repertoire. Popular tunes, pretty typical. Another thing you'll find with a true New Orleans jazz band is they're going to play hymns and spirituals. You know, you're not going to find that with a New York City Any Cotton style band or a Chicago style band or a West Coast style band. Typically, the stuff that's really rooted in hymns and spirituals, marches, rags, Creole melodies, they all come out of New Orleans, and they're all part of that repertoire that we play. A lot of the musicians that played in these jazz bands that we spoke of earlier were also functional musicians to play for funerals. Many people know this, but if you go down in New Orleans, they play sad music to the cemetery as the body is brought out, and then once the body is laid down, coming back from the cemetery, they play joyous music symbolizing the resurrection of souls. And this is a very, very typical thing that's part of the New Orleans tradition. And a lot of that was brought into the local dance bands for the weekend. So they would bring in these marching band tunes, and they would bring in these spirituals and these hymns, and they would play them in a way that they, perhaps dancers could dance to them. And uh, it's just a very exciting mix of a lot of different styles all coming together in a true New Orleans setting. And that's what we aspire to do. But along with that, a lot of the music we draw from is from some of the New Orleans greats. Like, of course, you really can't talk about traditional New Orleans jazz unless you talk about some of the masters like Joe Oliver, who was a great band leader and great trumpet player. And Joe Oliver had some of the first recordings out of a New Orleans jazz band. And also, he had in his ranks the very famous, well, at the time, he wasn't very famous, but he was soon to be famous, Louis Armstrong. So we play Oliver tunes like Dipper Mouth Blues, Snagit, Sobbin Blues is another Joe Oliver tune we do. We draw from the very famous recordings that Louis Armstrong did, which were, are referred to as the Hot Fives and the Hot Sevens. Five having to do with five musicians, sevens having to do with a slightly larger band that recorded. So we do things from that repertoire like uh, Big Butter and Eggman, Canal Street Blues, Comeback Sweet Papa, Potato Head Blues, which is a classic Louis Armstrong piece. If you listen to Louis Armstrong's solo on Potato Head Blues, there's probably not a better constructed solo you, you could ever find in jazz. Just wonderful stuff. Uh, we play Morton tunes, Jelly Roll Morton tunes like uh, Froggy Moore, Rag. We play King Porter Stomp, which actually... Uh, Benny Goodman ended up using as a uh, theme song, but that was a, uh, originally a Jelly Roll Morton t tune. Plus, we incorporate, like I said, a lot of these hymns and spirituals. Songs like uh, Lead Me Savior and Over in the Glory Land and Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Interesting thing is there's a lot of parallels to this music, to folk music, and I've, I've made this for reference before, but you can hear a lot of country and a lot of folk artists doing these very same spirituals because they're really not Baptist tunes. They're really Christian spiritual songs. So they're not found typically in the Baptist church. Just a little while to stay here is another spiritual that we do. Really neat stuff. If someone out there wants to see the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band, where are you guys performing? Well, we play every Monday night, aside from a little break during the winter between Christmas and New Year and throughout the summer. But we play every spring and every fall in the Cafe Carlisle, which is part of the Carlisle Hotel, and that's located at Madison and 76. It's one of the last supper club clubs in New York, so there's a lot of tradition there in that hotel. It's a very, very old hotel. Very famous people have stayed there 
Jackie O and JFK stayed there. So there's a lot of history in those halls. And the Carlisle really hasn't changed all that much since those days. So it's a pretty cool place. It's about the price of a New York City Broadway show. And we come out, we do, we do a long set, and then there's some encore numbers that we do. So that's typically where you can hear us. But for the last six or seven years, we've been taking the band out on the road every Christmas, and we've been doing pretty extensive European tours that have brought us just about all over the world. We've gone to Turkey. We've gone to Istanbul in Turkey. We've gone to Athens. We've gone to Budapest this past year. We may go to Prague this coming year. We've toured numerous cities in Spain. Italy, Germany, and it's really been exciting for us to do this because typically this music is only played in small jazz clubs, but because of the fact that we have this celebrity in our ranks, there's a lot of keen interest, especially in other parts of the world, to come out and see the band because of Woody Allen's notoriety. So we're able to fill these large concert halls and arenas. That's a very exciting thing for us as musicians. Uh, is to be able to pre- present this music in not-so-intimate settings as big, you know, 2,500, 2,000-seat concert halls. This is quite interesting to present the, mu- the music in that way. Given that much of this music was intended to be presented in a smaller, more intimate kind of setting, it's documented in the film from Cabin Creek, Wild Man Blues, very fascinating film where they follow the band around Europe. How does the band approach playing a large venue like that? Well, that's a very good question, and it's a very insightful statement. Yeah, this music was intended for very, very small and intimate settings and never really intended for people to sit there and for this music to be concertized in that way. It was to get up and move your body, you know, and dance or just move to the music. And folks are required to sit down and and be still for the 90 minutes, 100 minutes that we play. So what we try to do is we try to, first of all, some of these stages are very, very large stages. So we try to bring the band together so we can really function as a very close, cohesive unit. We ask for very little in the way of lighting effects. So we try to draw the focus to the band and to what we're doing. And we just try to sort of put the message out there. And you will find more often than not that after a couple numbers, the people get drawn into the music. And the more we sort of get a little bit of feedback from the audience, just like you would in a small setting, the more the band puts out. So it's very much a give and take from our audience. But it's been interesting for me to see this over a number of years that no matter how big the arena, and I can think of only a few exceptions, generally speaking, it works. And the closer we are to the audience, even just the first couple of front rows, we find that to be extremely helpful. So one of the other little tricks of our trade is we try to move up on the what they call the apron, try to move as close as we can to the people in the audience. And we feel that once sort of the energy gets out to those first couple of rows, it spreads back. Always an interesting uh, time. Moving from the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band to you personally, just as a general question, what is it that you like about music? If you looked at my music collection, you would be truly surprised, and this is probably a message that I'd like to send out a little bit later, but, you know, I listen to all different styles of music, whether it's, you know, uh, rock and roll, country, classical music, flamenco music, Spanish music, and it's all wonderful stuff. What particularly connects with me in playing and performing the music that I perform with this band 
which is essentially exclusively all I do, is the fact that there's a lot of room for expression. If you go back and you listen to the Hot Fives and the Hot Sevens, these were tightly constructed tunes that were destined to be on 78 records that could only go for two or three minutes. So they had a very, very small allotted time that they had to deal with. And so everything was pretty much scripted out. You would take a solo for so many bars. And they're wonderful arrangements if you listen to them. But, and they're neat and they're compact and they all work. But what's beautiful about playing in a live concert setting, whether it's in a club or on the concert stage, is you can stretch out just like you can in uh, more contemporary forms of jazz. And that's what's wonderful and what really connects with what I like to do is this music allows me to sort of express myself and there's a lot of your personality that you can inject into it. And what I mean by that is not only do you have this big amount of creative freedom in being able to play multiple chorus solos, but also if we do a song and we're on tour, and this very rarely happens that we actually repeat songs because we have this vast repertoire that we actually draw on, is that even if you did repeat a song on a consecutive night or an alternate night, is the song never sounds the same twice. I'm sure that's very typical in other styles of music as well. But, I mean, the, the creativity is limitless. So that's what appeals to me, is that you can inject your personality and you can be highly creative. And one of the challenges is to be idiomatic and to be stylistically correct just like in playing any other form of music, you can't cross those boundaries. An example of this would be if you were playing in a country band, if you took a guitar solo, an amplified guitar solo, you couldn't play like Jimi Hendrix. You would have to play like someone like Chet Atkins, someone who would be appropriate to the style. And the same way with our music is that there's an amount of restraint that you have to show in not displaying to the whole audience all the technique you have, but working within the boundaries and still being creative, and still being stylistically correct. And so it's very, very challenging and very rewarding. What about the listeners? When someone goes and hears the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band or when they listen to a recording they may have done, what is it that you hope the listener gets out of the experience? Well, most of the people that are are coming to our shows, at least on tour in Europe, and perhaps at the Carlisle as well, are, are fans of Woody Allen. And so they don't really know what to expect when they walk in the door and they sit down and they, the band starts to play. And all I really sort of expect out of them, or all it would be nice, is it just you just sort of open yourself up and let the music sort of wash over you. Just experience it, and if it moves you, that's wonderful. And if, if it's really, really, you just couldn't get there, I understand that too. But that's what would be the message that I would like to get out is just if you come to hear any style of music, just let all your preconceived notions of what you think it's going to sound like or what you expect it to sound like go and just sit down there and just listen to the music and just let it just wash in. Because that's what I did as a kid. You know, the record player was constantly going and I had no control over that. And I heard just all this different music just sort of wash over me. And years later, what I take away from that is, you know, maybe these are not things that I listen to every day, but I have an appreciation for that. Music appreciation, I see. Yeah, uh, just being open to different sounds. The wonderful thing about internet radio and the sad thing about commercial radio that you would get in your car typically is that's dying. And the wonderful thing about internet radio is it opened up this whole wonderful world to expose people to all different kinds of music. And there's so much great stuff out there. And it doesn't matter what style really is a wonderful thing to be open-minded about music.
I have two final questions, one lighthearted and one a little more serious. I feel like you can get a lot of what a person is like by what their favorite meal is. So what is your all-time favorite meal? Are you talking about location or just just sit down and, and order me up a great meal? You get to order a great meal, whatever <laughs> your heart desires. Well, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. I mean, I if, if I get a perfectly prepared omelet, just a regular cheese omelet, you know, I'm in heaven. I must say that some of the best cooked food, whether they are omelets or dinners that I've gotten traveling around the world, is in France. Typically, you can get pretty darn good food in France. But if you can give me a great cheese omelet with some wonderful hot sauce, that really makes my day. That sounds good. My final question, just like you mentioned about Internet radio, one of the other great things about it is people can listen in from anywhere in the world. This broadcast goes out all over the world. So my last question to you, what would you like to say to the world? What would you like to say to all those people listening in? Well, it kind of strikes back to what we were just talking about. I think as, as our global world becomes larger with the Internet and we're exposed to all different types of information, I think that with that exposure, I think we should really take the ball and run with the fact that we're exposed to all kinds of wonderful music. And uh, just go out and listen to as much music as you can. Go out there and also support live music. I think that's one of the other things that we don't do enough. And I, I've got a couple young kids at home, and I want to make sure that that's part of their growing up. They remember that, that they were taken out to hear live concerts. Sometimes we're too comfortable in our homes watching our TVs and our flat panel TVs, high-res TVs, and listening to our great stereo systems or our iPods. And we need to go out there and support a lot of live music because that not only helps musicians, but it also helps your soul. There's something very, very special about hearing music perform live. Very true. Well, I thank you very much, Mr. Zygmunt, for the great interview. I must say you are one of the best interviewees I've ever had. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Before I let you go, let me just throw out a couple of influences. If anybody's listening out there and they're fans of trombone, playing trombone in this particular style, go out and pick up any of the King Oliver records that are out. There's a lot of great re-releases on uh, CD, and King Oliver had a wonderful trombonist called Honoré Dutre. He had, he had a wonderful French name, and he was a great... Edward Kid Ori is another wonderful trombonist. Check him out. Jim Robinson played a number of years with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Another great influence. Also got to meet him one time when I was very little. I'm still looking for that picture in our <laughs> film collection. A lot of great stuff, so keep listening. Definitely. There's a lot of music out there. Everyone needs to hear as much of it as possible.
Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.